For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Skipping over to uh, verse 6, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that teaches us about you, our creator, our maker, our sustainer, your word that teaches us about ourselves, made in your image, fallen and redeemed, and also that teaches us about Jesus, our King and Savior. We pray that your spirit would come and be our teacher this morning. Uh, We love you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, as you noticed, we are uh, taking a one-week break from our uh, current series through uh, the book of Exodus to do a preview sermon on a season that we are entering into as a church uh, over the next three months, where in, not just in sermons, but also in home groups, we are going to be talking about the topic of generosity. And this is a season that we are calling Feast. And this morning, I want to explain that name, Feast, to you, um, why we're doing this and what exactly we're going to be doing during the season. But let me just uh, begin by acknowledging that uh, talking about money in the church may be an uncomfortable topic uh, for some of you. Some have already expressed some of their discomfort to me as they've known this is coming. And that unease that we have about talking about money may be for a variety of reasons. Uh, It could be that you have grew up in a church or you've been in churches where you felt like money was handled in an inappropriate manner. You did not trust how money was handled in the church. Um, It could be that uh, 
We feel that money is a very personal matter, and a church is kind of overstepping its bounds by talking uh, about a topic like that. It could also be that we have a lot of fear and anxiety around the topic of money. Maybe we don't, we feel like we're barely getting by, and then to think about, talking about a topic like generosity could be something that feels like it's adding another burden onto many burdens that we already carry. It could also be that greed or love of money is a sin that has been unaddressed in our lives. There are a lot of reasons why this topic is uncomfortable for us, and if you've been at Christ Church very long, you know that it's our habit to not shrink away from difficult topics, but to address them honestly and always with an eye towards the grace that is ours in Jesus. And this is no different. And I'll tell you honestly, I tend to think that whenever there's a topic that seems to make us uncomfortable, that is probably the Lord telling us that it's something we should talk about. As much as we don't want to, as much as I don't want to, it's something that we should talk about. And it turns out that the topic of money played an important role in Jesus' teaching. Read through the Gospel of Luke. The, money of, the topic of money is throughout the Gospel of Luke. And in fact, at the very heart of the Sermon on the Mount, our, Jesus says these famous words that many of you will know. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. <laughs> Jesus says that one of the greatest indicators of what we care most about in our lives is our money and what we do with our money. And the Apostle Paul, in this passage that I just read from 2 Corinthians, uh, sees a direct motivation for generosity in the gospel. You saw those beautiful words that I, I began that passage with in chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Wealth is deeply tied to our spiritual lives, and so we absolutely need to talk about it as a church. Now, someone will hear that and say, okay, I understand money is an important spiritual matter, but I have a feeling that this season is not just about my relationship to money, but it is about giving to the church. What do you have to say about that? I will say absolutely it has to do with giving to the church. The church is the embassy of God's kingdom in the earth. And we cannot be ashamed of the fact that one of the primary ways that we say to God, I love you and I love your kingdom more than my money, is by giving to the church. Now a word of honesty. This may not be something that we have, as a community have internalized. In our church, a third of our budget or I'm sorry, 85% of our budget is given by a third of the people. Another 14.5% of our budget is given by another third. And another 0.5% is given by another third. Now, I want to be clear. I don't know how much any of you give as individuals. Okay, none of our elders do. Our deacons don't. Our leaders do not know that information. I know this, this statistic. And... Um, there could be a lot of reasons why giving in our church is lopsided, or you know, there's 
Only some people really are make, funding this community and this church. It could be that our community gives away a lot of money and we just don't give it to the church. There are other places that we're giving. This, hasn't, this is not a priority for our giving. It could be that some people just have not had any teaching on it. I know for me, for a long time when I became a Christian, just no one had talked to me about it. I even know. I didn't know what the Bible taught. I didn't know what anyone else thought. I didn't know what the church thought. It could be also we haven't thought about it much. Actually, I talked to someone in our church who's been in our church for a while, and they said I could share this. And they said it never occurred to them that the only way that the church can function is that people give a tithe on a monthly basis. It's the only way. They, they, it actually didn't occur to them. And it may be that case for you. You might be like, well, I know it's a Presbyterian church. I think that's some denomination that probably gives them a bunch of money and probably gave them the building and, you know, helps them care for the poor and, and pay for the pastors. It's probably helpful information to know that we get zero dollars from anywhere. <laughs> this is... This whole thing is us. It's just us. This is our family that's, full, that's totally, totally dependent on that. This is a grassroots, crowdsourced project. And it's probably good for us to realize that if a minority group of people in this church did not believe that they should tithe or they should give a, um, a substantial percentage of their income to this church, Christ Church Bellingham would not exist. This is not shaming anyone. This is not a scolding. This is just simply a, a word of honesty that says to us, we might need some shepherding on this topic. And I uh, know that this will stir things for people. That's okay. But how we go about topping, talking about this topic is important. And I think that this section of scripture from 2 Corinthians gives us three important principles that will guide us during the season, and I think they give a rationale for why we are doing this. And so this morning, I'm going to be giving a preview sermon for the season. Then over the next couple months, all of our home groups are going to be doing a devotional that's not just about giving to the church, but about money and spirituality, a devotional that, that's based on a, a devotional from Tim Keller's church in Manhattan called Redeemer Church, that Redeemer, Redeemer Presbyterian that's been a, uh, a model for us as a church. And, um, and then we're going to have a sermon series in April after Easter. Easter is April 1st, then we're going to have a four-part sermon series. And then we're also going to have, there are going to be a few events, a couple events for people who've really invested in, in the church with their time and their talent and or their treasure. And we're going to have at the end a party just to celebrate Christ Church, all church party on, on April 29th. So those are some of the things that are coming. You may have questions about those things. You're free to come and talk to me. I'm inviting you to pray for this season for us. But this morning, we're going to look at three guiding principles for it. And I'm going to give them to you as we, we go along. And before we start on those, let me just say one more word. You might be visiting with us today and say, wow, okay, this sounds like an in-house topic. I'm not sure if this applies to me. That's kind of true. But also, I think some of these principles and some of the things that come out of this passage really introduce you to much of who we are as a church, what we're about. So I think, I think it'll be interesting and so welcome. So three principles this morning. Principle number one, the good life is a generous life. The good life is a generous life. And what I mean by that is that all of us 
have a vision of what the good life is. And by good life, I don't mean a morally good life. I mean the life where everything went right in my life. All my dreams come true. All of us have a vision of what would my life look like if all my dreams came, through, came true. And we usually picture something about our careers going well, we'd fall in love with someone that we'd spend our life with, maybe uh, we'd have friends that we don't have. And that vision of the good life shapes many of the decisions that we make in our lives and the plans that we make in our life to, to reach that vision. One of the things the gospel does is when we experience Jesus' grace in our lives, our vision for what a good life is is radically transformed. So I'll give you an example. Some of you were, have been in a season of your life that was very dark and lonely, and you experienced Jesus meeting you. Maybe he brought some people into your life just at the right time that would listen to you, would understand you, would show compassion to you. And Jesus spoke words of hope and forgiveness and maybe brought you into community, and it really changed your sense of hope for yourself and for the world and your sense of purpose. And after you have experienced that grace, your idea of what your dream for your life would be, that you could be that to, to other people. I would hope that I would become the kind of person that people would share their dark loneliness with, and I would know the right words to say in that time, or right words not to say, you know, and to not speak, and, and to pray for them. And I could be that kind of person who showed up at the right time and, and loved them and listened to them. And now, because of the gospel, I have this whole vision that my life would be filled with experiences like that. And before Jesus came into my life, I didn't really care about other people's darkness. I didn't even want to know about it. I didn't want them to tell me. It was kind of a burden to carry around. And so my whole vision of what the good life is, not just a morally good life, a happy life is, is transformed. The gospel has a reorienting effect on every aspect of our lives. So one question is, how does the gospel change our vision with respect to our money? What new vision does my, uh, of my life does Jesus form in me through his grace? And I think this passage that we just read gives an amazing picture for us of that new vision of the good life. And I, you see it first in verse 8. That's what it says. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And so Paul sees this direct parallel between our generosity, which is sowing, and God's provision in our lives, reaping. And then he explains this principle again in verse 10. You see the farming principle continues in verse 10. What does it say in verse 10? He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now what he is saying is that God provides all the food, all the money, all the resources, all the talents that we have, all the time that we have. He provides all of those things to us so that we can live a generous life. And uh, Tim Keller, who I mentioned earlier, puts it this way. I know the advertisements say, spend this on yourself because you've worked hard for it and you owe it to yourself. 
Have you ever noticed how many commercials basically say that? You owe it to yourself because you've earned it. What God says is, you've earned it with what? You've earned it breathing the air I've given you for free, with a mind I gave you for free, with the connections I gave you for free. All these things are from me. The fact you're born today instead of 1,200 years ago in the mountains of Tibet, that's from me. Everything you have is a result of my goodness to you. Every single bit, I ask you now to share it. This is the vision. God has given me everything I have so I can be generous. And if you are determined to live a generous life, this is something for us to realize. What is God going to do if we're determined to live a generous life? He's going to equip you to be generous by giving you the resources you need to do it. And do we believe that about God's fatherly care? And Paul says, this is a joyful life. God provides for me. I share what he has given. And so he gives me more resources to be able to share. That's how life works. And if that is your life, imagine that was your life. It worked like that. Would that be a happy life? Be immensely happy. It'd be immensely thrilling. It'd be filled with adventure and risk, and yet it was safe. And this happy life comes only from a fundamental confidence in God's provision for us as a father. You know, when a farmer sows the seed, which is, Paul says, the act of being generous, they don't know what the harvest will be yet, right? The harvest is going to come later. And so they have to wait to see what God is going to provide. But God promises to be with us and to provide for us. Now, some of you will hear this and you say, this sounds like the prosperity gospel. And if you know what the prosperity gospel is, it is a a Christian heresy. It's, It's all over the world that says, basically, if you love God and you believe in God, God wants to make you rich. And that's really what Christianity is about. The abundant life that we have in Jesus is about God making us rich. Um, and it's often used to get poor people to give their money to rich pastors with the promise they'll become rich too. The thing we should remember is that every heresy is built on an element of truth that has been twisted. We are not here to get rich. We are here to know Christ and to have Christ formed in us. But the life of Jesus with his Father is that the Father has given Jesus all things. And then Jesus gave away all things. And then he became the firstborn and heir of all things, which he then shared with us. When we come into Jesus' life, when Christ is formed in us, that becomes the very nature of our lives as well. That story, the story of Christ with his Father, is our new vision of a good life. Now, this vision of a good life, one where God provides all that I need so I'm confident in giving to his kingdom, comes as a gift of grace. Giving, in the Bible, is not a response to guilt. It is a response to grace. And that leads to a second principle we see in this passage. The first principle is that the, uh, the good life is a generous life. Principle number two is that each person must decide in their own heart what to give. Each person must decide in their own heart what to give. 
And, you know, one of the questions you may have about giving and the church and your relationship to God is, is that, you know, is giving a tax that I need to pay God? You know, God is the king. I'm in his kingdom, and I owe him a percentage of my wealth. Or is giving a free gift that we get to choose what we want to give? There are many passages of Scripture, actually, that tend to speak both ways. And I think in some ways, this is a false choice, these two things. There are many things that we owe to God, and one of the most important principles of our church is that God doesn't want our service and obedience and worship pried out of our hands. He doesn't want us giving begrudgingly or out of a sense of guilt. So, for example, uh, we owe God love and worship. We all owe God love and worship. How does God get love and worship from us? Does he come and say, you owe me love and worship, now give it to me? Maybe a little, but it's not the primary way. You know, he can say that to us, but the primary way he gets our love and worship is he sends his son to share in our misery and and to die on the cross for our sins and to forgive all of our sins and give eternal life. He pours on us grace that we don't deserve. And then we see that and our hearts are warmed and softened and melted that God has treated us that way. And so then we want to love him and we want to obey him and we want to serve him. Now that does not mean that I should only worship God when I feel like it. Some of you know it has been helpful at times when someone told you, you need to go to worship. It's good for you. Again, all of this is the same with generosity. It is when we experience God's kingdom and Jesus' grace in our lives that we form a desire to give. God does not want to pry money out of our hands. He doesn't want to do that. Notice what this passage says, verse 13. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ. This verse totally destroys that false choice because he says, yes, there's an act of submission where we are generous and we give our resources away, but it flows out of the gospel. It flows out of a changed heart. And that is why this passage gives us an important principle that I think is going to be very important for this season that we are in as a church, where it says in verse 7, look at verse 7, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is a beautiful verse. It says guilt, compulsion, coercion. They don't produce sustainable giving. They don't produce joyful giving. They also don't produce sacrificial giving. It doesn't work. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul says, you know, God loves a cheerful giver, so I'm never going to talk about money or I'm never going to talk about giving. He doesn't do that. He's got actually two whole chapters here in 2 Corinthians devoted to the topic of giving. But this verse is precisely what we're doing together. And by the way, this is not just you. This is all of our elders, all of our leaders are entering into a process to think about our giving and our contribution. We all need to think about this too. And we're going to have some teaching and guidance. And then we're going to invite each each other to decide in our hearts what we should give. And I think this is important because it's possible that many of us have never done that, decided in our hearts what we're going to give. 
How do you do that? How do you decide in your heart what you're going to give? Well, it's a process. How do you decide in your heart in anything that you're going to do spiritually for the Lord? Well, the first thing is you look at the Bible, and you look at the Bible. Does the Bible give us guidance on this? You know, if you're married, sit down with some of those passages of the Scripture and say, hey, is this what we believe? Can we give our hearts to this? Have we internalized this as, you know, as individuals or as a family? Deciding your heart probably looks at an honesty about what am I giving to the Lord now? Do I know that? Um, you know, one of the ways that the Bible talks about giving is according to your means or as you may prosper, which I think suggests, you know, if you, you get a raise, your giving goes up. If you have less money, your giving goes down, which says that we should give in terms of a portion or a percentage that changes with how much money that, that we give. And so that's a question for how many of us have actually looked at my W-2 from last year and then looked at how much I gave away last year. And I calculated what percentage I gave away. It's a word of honesty. And then said, is that what I've decided in my heart? And I'll be straight with you. You know, about a year ago, we started talking about this initiative. I was, knew it was coming, you know, and I, I was like, well, I'm going to go through this process first. And, you know, I, we found a way. We, you know, our bank sends a check to the church every month, and it wasn't what we thought we had decided in our heart, and it needed to be corrected. It was helpful to look at it, take out a calculator, <laughs> and compute it. We had to do that. Our leadership is doing that. I also think, like any other area of our life, deciding in our hearts looks like talking with people I care about and trust. So that's one of the reasons our home groups are together as a whole church, going to talk about this topic. We have, uh, this is a devotional guide that was put together. Lydia Dahl designed this cover for us, very nice. And uh, it's a 20-day devotional just about scriptures, about money, and about spirituality, about the Lord's provision for us. And then we're going to talk about it as a home group. And I imagine this is, I mean, that may be a hard thing. Obviously, you don't have to tell your home group how much you give or how much money you make. But it'd be interesting to hear from each other. What are our stories? What have we learned? What has God taught us? How has God provided for us? If you're in a home group, your home group leader has this. They're going to hand it out to you. If you're not in a home group and you'd like to go through this devotional, we're going to have some of these out in the lobby uh, after church. You can pick one of those up. Um, but I think it would, it would be great for our groups to wrestle with these questions about money and our spiritual lives and giving and to learn from each other. So deciding in our hearts means looking at the Bible, looking at ourselves, talking with people I trust, and praying and asking for the Spirit to guide us. This is simply a season where we are doing that together. Now, this process of deciding in your heart what to give is not only something that I think we need to do as individuals, but it's, uh, this passage says that not only individuals should be cheerful givers, but those individuals are giving to the church, which should also be generous. I think this is a time for us as a whole church to think about our generosity as a community. And with the money that's given to us and the resources that are given to us, it's a time for us to rethink about our mission and so this is principle number three, is that generosity is not just a topic for individuals in the church, but also for our church as a whole. It's a topic for our leadership. It's a topic for our mission and vision. And what I'm addressing here is how should the church use the money that is given to it? And as you read through the Bible, you will see a number of things that 
people's offerings are used for. So for example, in the Old Testament, the tithe was used to pay for the Levites, who were like the pastors in, in, in Israel. And in the New Testament, those who proclaim the gospel. So there's one sense in which giving is used to pay for a church staff. You also see that there are feasts that, that happened throughout the Old Testament that, that was for community formation. Money was used to bond the, the community together. You see the sending of missionaries. The church was called to send missionaries and to give, send people with money so they can go proclaim the gospel to people who don't know the gospel. And there's even things like, you know, physical buildings and the temple. You know, the, the temple in the New Testament is not a physical building like in the Old Testament. There's probably some corollary with our building that we need a building to function. But as I've been studying this, one pattern that I've seen uh, is that a lot of the generosity in the New Testament is given to the poor. In this passage, this passage from 2 Corinthians, Paul is going to the churches in Asia Minor and Greece and Macedonia, and he is fundraising because there was a famine in Jerusalem, and many of the Christians in Jerusalem were starving. And so he went to go raise money so that the church would care for those who were in need. And you see that there in verse 8, what it says in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, this is a quote from Psalm 112 that describes the righteous man as caring for the poor. And this feast initiative is not only about all of us as individuals learning about generosity, it's about our church as a whole learning to be generous too and remembering our mission. Now, you might hear that and say, well, why are we having an initiative about giving to the church? Why don't we have an initiative just about giving to the poor? Why don't we give our money to the poor? Why are we going to give it to the church? And that's a, great, that's a great question. But one of the things that you'll see throughout the Bible is that the way people gave to the poor was through the church. Why would that be? Why would God say, I want to give through my church? I want the poor to be given to through my church. It's because that most people who are poor need more than simply money. Just like all of us need more than money. They need relationships. They need to hear about the Lord. They need someone to befriend them and to walk with us. That's what we need. We need someone to walk, befriend us and walk with us and disciple, disciple us. We need someone to see our gifts and to help us become a blessing to others. We need connection. And what you see is this combination of caring for the physical needs of the poor and the spiritual work of this church come together in this passage in verse 12 in a beautiful way. Look what it says. For the ministry of this is service not only supplying the needs of the saints, the, the famine in Jerusalem, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Both the physical and the spiritual needs are together being met. That's what a church does. The physical and the spiritual meeting to get together. It's a holistic ministry. And that is why we've named this season Feast. Our church has used a table as our symbol from when we first began. And that's because much of the Bible is about meals. You know, the first chapter of the Bible in the creation, God makes a world full of food. And he gives it to humanity. And he says, you're going to commune with me in a garden where there's all kinds of food. And then when Jesus comes... 
to welcome sinners into God's kingdom. He eats with them at the, table, at the table. And the end of the Bible story is the great marriage feast of the Lamb. The place where God is taking humanity is towards a great feast. But also, all of the giving that was done in the Bible was food. You know, if you look at the tithes of the Old Testament, or you look at the famine here in 2 Corinthians, you bring your grain and you bring your wine and your animals, it's all about food. And the thing about a feast, to imagine that what we're doing here is not paying a bill, but we're together contributing to a great feast where God is bringing outsiders, those who are far off, those who are alone, those who are far from God, he's bringing them to a feast. Your thinking changes. I mean, imagine when you have all your friends over for a feast, how you think, compared to paying your power bill. When you have your friends over, you think, how can I get a special bottle of wine or a special cut of meat? How do I make this a special? How do I make, I want people to feel joy and feel like they've been honored and they've been welcomed in. And you're always kind of finding a way to make it more special. That's the mentality that God gives us to think about his kingdom. Our church is about Jesus making a feast, both physical and spiritual, where Jesus is bringing in the broken, the lost, the sinful. He's bringing in us. And this is how he puts it in Luke 13. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. So my hope for us during this season is we'd see that the feast of God's kingdom is the good life. And that we would decide in our hearts to bring our contribution to that feast. That our community as a whole would welcome our neighbors to the great feast of Jesus. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you that you leave no area of our lives or no area of this world untouched by your truth, by your word. You shine your light of wisdom, of warmth, of grace on every hidden place. We ask for your spirit and your grace and your love and your kindness to guide us during this time. Give us open hearts to trust that you have been open-handed with us. You have been generous with us. Teach us what it means to be like our Father in heaven. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.